0: Sheila. And
1: I'm Sarah. And
0: welcome to Season 2 of Pushing Pediatrics, an educational podcast for physical therapists created to help those studying for the Pediatric Certified Specialist Exam and anyone else interested in learning more about pediatric physical therapy.
1: Last year, our episodes were played over 10,000 times to help listeners like you crush the PCS exam, and they did.
0: This year, you can expect more content and even more review to help you feel confident on test day. Let's not waste any more time. Time to study.
1: Listener note, this podcast was created as an adjunct for those studying for the PCS exam. By no means do we guarantee that one will pass the exam solely by listening to this podcast. We encourage all those studying for the exam to put the appropriate time and effort into their studying using resources recommended by the ABPTS and the APTA. It is not allowed to discuss test content and we will not accept any questions related to test content. While we will do our best to provide the most accurate information, If you feel as though we have stated something that is incorrect, please contact us via Instagram or Facebook at PushingPediatrics or send us an email at PushingPediatrics at gmail.com.
0: Hey guys, we have talked a lot about how we use the MedBridge PCS prep course to develop our study plan and as an awesome supplemental resource for the PCS exam. Not only are there copious amounts of videos, but they also include practice exams, recommended readings, and other resources to add to your toolbox. To celebrate Physical Therapy Month, MedBridge is running a special on their premium subscription for just $225 if you use the code PTMPUSHINGPEDS. You can also click on the link in the episode notes. These subscriptions are good for one year of content and gives you premium access, including their PCS prep content.
1: Even if you are not studying for the PCS, you can still use this discount code for continuing education credits. Share it with your colleagues and other friends who may be studying for their other specialty exams. Hurry, this special priced PT month promotion ends on October 31st.
0: We briefly touched on concussion last season in episode 24. The APTA does have a fact sheet on concussion titled concussion in the pediatric population. We definitely think this is an area that is important to review. And luckily there's a whole clinical summary dedicated to concussion.
1: This clinical summary is not specific to the pediatric population. So definitely review the fact sheet in addition to this material. So you can understand the pediatric specific takeaways. Concussion right now is so prevalent in the news, especially with the football players who are getting concussions, the uh, Dolphins quarterback who just had what we think is the second impact syndrome, that it was just a horrible thing to watch. So it's definitely in the media right now, but just make sure that you're reviewing the appropriate pediatric specific information about concussion and we'll try to highlight
0: the pediatric-specific information as we get started. A concussion is a type of a traumatic brain injury caused by forces from a bump, blow, or jolt to the head. These direct or indirect forces result in acceleration, deceleration, and or rotation of the brain inside the skull and the initiation of a complex pathophysiological process that alters neurometabolism. A concussion results in a constellation of physical, cognitive, emotional, or sleep-related symptoms that may be highly variable in duration.
1: After a blunt force concussion, biomechanical forces cause axonal stretching in the brain, disrupting cell membrane homeostasis, and dysregulating ion channel function. This alters the function of both the neuronal cell bodies and axons, triggering abnormal neuronal excitation and depolarization, lactic acid accumulation, and a mismatch between cerebral blood flow, which is decreased, and cerebral glucose demand, which is increased. Following concussion, the brain is thought to be in a metabolically stressed state in which neurons operate with insufficient energy. Thus, the injured brain is incapable of optimal performance and has diminished capacity to sustain a second injury. So, with this information, you can see why return to sport guidelines are so strict. We need to ensure that normal neurometabolic functioning is restored prior to return to sport or a more severe injury is possible, just like Tua, the Dolphins quarterback.
0: Knowing when someone suffers a concussion is important. The current standard of practice for athletes suspected of sustaining a concussion is removal from the field until they undergo comprehensive evaluation from a medical professional. Some specific immediate signs are as follows. A vacant stare, delayed verbal expression, so slower to answer or follow instructions, an inability to focus attention, or also they could be very distractible, disorientation, so walking in the wrong direction, unaware of the time, day, or place, slurred or incoherent speech, gross observable incoordination, so things like stumbling or the inability to tandem walk, emotional ability, memory deficits, any period of loss of consciousness, nausea or vomiting, headache or dizziness.
1: A multidisciplinary team is required for the comprehensive evaluation and management of concussion. In pediatrics, we are primarily looking at sports-related concussion. The team often includes physicians, neuropsychologists, physical therapists, athletic trainers, school personnel, and a variety of specialists when necessary for orthopedic, visual, vestibular, mood, or cognitive issues.
0: There are several different symptom reporting instruments listed in the clinical summary. Symptom assessment is highly subjective and may be influenced by many factors. You need to supplement symptom-related reporting with more formal testing. Things like neurocognitive testing has become one of the cornerstones of concussion evaluation and management. An example of a neurocognitive test is the impact which stands for immediate post-concussion assessment and cognitive testing. Symptom reporting and neurocognitive testing should be augmented by other assessments, such as balance testing, vestibular, and ocular motor testing. This is where the role of the physical therapist is going to come in.
1: Basic screening for balance dysfunction and concussion should include a measure of sensory organization, the ability to effectively and efficiently utilize visual somatosensory and vestibular inputs for postural control.
0: In addition to balance dysfunction, vestibular and visual symptoms are common following concussion and are a potential areas of intervention for physical therapists. The vestibular ocular motor screening, the VOMS, was developed for screening potential vestibular ocular motor dysfunction following a sport-related concussion.
1: The clinical summary then goes on to list concussion-specific history questions. This is a great table to review because it does discuss some prognostic information associated with recovery, such as loss of consciousness, amnesia, and dizziness.
0: There are a lot of tests and measures associated with concussion. The clinical summary breaks them down in depth. Screening the cervical spine, looking at balance, evaluating vestibular ocular motor function, and screening dizziness and BPPV. Exertion is an area important to look at post-concussion. Response to exertion is a portion of assessing readiness for return to play for athletes who are asymptomatic and returning to sport. According to the International Guidelines on Return to Play in Sport, Athletes should be symptom-free after physical exertion in order to return to competition. Once an athlete is symptom-free, an exertion assessment should be performed prior to clearance for return to sport.
1: Acute diagnostic tools are used to establish a concussion at the time of injury. In general, these tools have greater specificity than sensitivity. That is, presence of concussion can be ruled in with positive test findings. However, a concussion cannot be ruled out with a negative test. Spin, specificity, positive, rules in.
0: There is very limited and conflicting evidence on physical exertion following concussion. In human studies, high school athletes who were engaged in high levels of physical and cognitive activity in the early stages following concussion Demonstrated worse outcomes. However, athletes who participated in light exercise and remained enrolled in school experienced less cognitive impairment than groups with both high and low levels of activity. Existing guidelines for clinical management remain largely consensus based, as there is insufficient research in this area. Current consensus driven concussion management guidelines therefore recommend. 1. Athletes should be immediately removed from play when a concussion is suspected. 2. No athlete should be permitted to return to play on the same day as a suspected concussion. 3. Prior to return to sport, athletes should be symptom-free and not taking any medication that might be modifying concussion symptoms. And 4. Prior to return to sport, athletes should participate in a graduated return to play protocol, after which normal functioning and no return of symptoms are confirmed.
1: We discussed the return to play protocol last season. The clinical summary has another table outlining the return to play protocol if you need additional review. The current consensus statement on concussion in sport advises that when asymptomatic at rest, the athlete should progress from light aerobic to sport or work-specific activity. For review from the fact sheet, the stages are no activity, light aerobic activity, sport-specific exercise, non-contact training drills, full contact practice, then return to game play. An important fact, an athlete should only move to the next step if they do not have any new symptoms at the current step. If an athlete's symptoms come back, or if they get new symptoms, there is a sign that the athlete is pushing too hard. The athlete should stop these activities and the athlete's medical provider should be contacted. After more rest and no concussion symptoms, the athlete can start at the previous step.
0: The clinical summary outlines that there is good evidence to support removal from play and protection from additional injury until the patient has recovered from the concussion. Initial guidelines recommended rest until all symptoms resolved. However, there is conflicting evidence as to the risks and benefits of prolonged inactivity. In 2015, new evidence compared complete rest for five days, with usual activity of one to two days of rest, followed by a gradual return to activity. Results indicated that prolonged rest added no benefit.
1: Therapist intervention may be required in cervical spine management, vestibular rehabilitation, and like we discussed earlier, exertion rehabilitation. Exertion rehabilitation is only for those patients asymptomatic at rest. There are no exercise guidelines for patients symptomatic at rest.
0: School can be a challenging place post-concussion because it provides many cognitive challenges. Students may require accommodations, and the summary goes through a long list of example accommodations like partial attendance, rest periods throughout the day, etc.
1: The clinical summary has a bit more in-depth discussion on medical management and pharmacologic management for you to review, but we think we have covered the physical therapist's role in concussion.
0: This is definitely an up-and-coming area for pediatric PTs, so definitely review this episode along with our episodes from last season. The episodes are similar and will be a great review to help you solidify this topic for the exam. See you next time.
1: thank you all so much for listening to Pushing Pediatrics. You can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Pushing Pediatrics. We would love to hear from you. So send us questions, suggestions, things you want to hear more of, and things you'd maybe want to hear less of. We will talk to you guys next time.
0: And remember, you totally got it.